The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You can't, you can't please everybody. And when I uh, get sick, like I've been for the last two weeks, my work ethic is so strong that I just, I just go on, you know. And what I do for a living, I know that a lot of you think, like, I wish I had a job where I only had to work one hour a day. It's not like that at all. You know, to do one hour of radio uh, requires hours of preparation. And I used to do three and four hours of radio, and it requires preparation. No restraint podcast. I have to look for the interesting stories and, uh, you know, and put them together. So, you know, it, it's a little more complicated than you might think, but I really don't, um, I don't neglect my work. You know, I come on the air. You guys have had to tolerate for the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, coughing spells and this nasal voice that I still have and, uh, and just a, a general, um, I know you know, you know, I, I can't hide that I'm sick because <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm in your car. I'm in your headphones. I'm in your computer. And you're thinking, she sounds terrible. And, and the problem is that I'm not terrible enough to stop doing my show. I'm just not. Um, they've made it so wonderful and so easy for me. I'm in my own home in front of my own microphone. I'm not infecting anybody. I'm, I'm basically in solitary confinement, you know, and I've been this way with company in and out for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I really, you know, I have discovered my husband and I had a long talk last night because I had to disappoint a club and a club that's very near and dear to me, actually. I had to disappoint them because I just didn't feel well enough to do it last night. And so, you know, I then got the word back that uh, there was some very ruffled feathers and some very hard feelings and, and, and a whole big uproar. And, and I have to tell you, my husband last night had told me before I knew any of that, he said, you have got to stop. You have got to stop doing all these speaking engagements. We're not in an election year. You, you, uh, you're really, you know, you've been sick with this cold for weeks now and I'm watching you and you just don't stop and you don't slow down. And he's right. And it's, I get an enormous amount of pleasure from gathering with people, especially like-minded people. And obviously I have a lot to say, but there has to be limits and, uh, you know, I have a speaking engagement left this week, tonight, and I have some on the schedule for, you know, the next month, but I'm going to, you know, I'm just sort of making this announcement. That's it for a while. You know, I will kick up my speaking schedule six months before the next election, which is in 2022 or uh, 2024. I'm in 2023. I'm going backwards. But that will be the time when I'll hit the road because we'll have a lot to, to get done, a lot to talk about. But right now, uh, the subjects that I talk about and the encouraging that I do to these groups that are just trying to stay activated, I get it. I totally get it. But um, I retired three years ago. Does anybody remember that I retired literally three years ago this month? 
that was my decision. I was going to, you know, walk away with my head held high and, you know, put the microphone down. And my employers convinced me that I should retain a presence on the air. And then COVID hit. And so here I was. A lot of people couldn't do their shows. And I had a, stu you know, I had a company that was willing to put a studio right in my house. And they said, just, just do one hour a day. And, and, you know, we'll support you in any way we can. We'll make sure you still have uh, revenue, all that stuff. We'll give you the equipment that you need. This isn't cheap stuff, you know. I don't have, I'm not talking into, uh, you know, some itty-bitty computer program. I've got a whole, you know, board and, and set up here connected to directly to the studio. I've got a producer sitting in the studio um, guiding me and making the show sound good. I've got another, you know, uh, assistant program director who puts my podcast together. These people really do a lot for me, and I'm grateful. But this is not the retirement that I was dreaming of, you know. And and yes, I I, I am I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have this platform and this microphone. But I've got to I've got to begin to take a step back. I really do. I, you know, I think about it all the time. Uh, there's nothing worse to me than when I see in one of the trade magazines that one of my colleagues over the years, and don't forget, 30-something years, 33, going on 34 years doing this. I know a lot of people who do this as well. And it grieves me when I find out that they, like, you know, they keeled over with their microphone in their hand, and I've known some to do it. Or else they get terribly sick and their retirement is cut short. You know, they don't even get to go on a, on a vacation or a trip or anything after their work career because they, you know, they transition out of here. And I, that's not how I want, you know, that's not how I want my life to end. So I, I want to continue doing this show. I've made up my mind. I'm going to continue doing my show, but I'm going to cut back in everything else. I really am. It's just, it's not that it doesn't uh, satisfy some part of me. It surely does. But uh, it's just not working. And I don't like disappointing people. That is not my intention ever. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go infect people or anything. You know, if I'm in a s setting like I would be in tonight where I'm far away from the people I'm speaking to, that's one thing. But I knew I was going to be in a close proximity last night. And, and, and if I start coughing, there's nothing I can do, you know. Not to mention everybody in this community is pretty nervous about, uh, you know, when people cough in, in your proximity, they all go running away. You know, <laughs> it gets frantic. So um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to make some changes. That's all. You know, I, I want to keep doing my show and I want to keep speaking. I, owe, I certainly owe my, the group I, you know, wasn't able to speak at last night. I owe them a make good. I've got a speaking engagement tonight and, you know, I definitely have to go to King's Point. But after that, you know, we're just going to go on hiatus for a minute, you know, and, and, and to restore um, just some modicum of health because I'm not getting better because I'm not resting. And I know that because I'm in pretty good shape, you know. I got a great letter from an attorney, a local attorney, who um, who listened to my interview with Dr. Robert Malone. I've gotten a lot of feedback about that interview. I've also gotten a lot of feedback about my podcast on Alzheimer's. And I even got a, 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 an email yesterday from a physician who worked in Alzheimer's uh, a clinical 
psychopharmacologist, not a, not a, you know, he was a clinician, but not a physician. And he'd been working in the field for years, decades. He was in England, he's in England now, and he heard the podcast, I don't know how, but, you know, thank you, Lord, for this internet that allows people all over the world to listen to these shows in the podcast. And he said he listened to it, and then he was so, um, he was so moved because that's been his dilemma. You know, he works in in the field and nobody was willing to look at anything other than, you know, these this theory that it was plaque in the brain that caused this Alzheimer's and in particular rapid declines. And so he was very interested and his wife told him, well, why don't you write her, you know, an email? And he did. And I was grateful and I'm going to communicate with him and probably bring him on the show because it is an outrage to me that we have had, you know, Alzheimer's affecting vast swaths of the public. And we're no closer today than we were 30 years ago to finding an answer for not just what causes Alzheimer's, but how we could prevent and more importantly, uh, cure it. You know, um, we're, we can't come up with a cure for the common cold. I'm sitting here week after week with a cold. You know, and, and yes, the doctor yesterday said, here, you know, Tamiflu, everybody's on Tamiflu, and I get it, because let me tell you, one day of Tamiflu, I felt better. <laughs> you know, of course, the I impulse is to stop taking it, not do the three days or whatever. But, you know, modern medicine is got all kinds of things, but it really doesn't answer some questions that are very, very front and center for a lot of families. I know a lot of people whose families have had an Alzheimer's um, patient like I did. Um, really, I, I know more people with someone in their family with Alzheimer's or dementia or senility than I know not, you know. And so it, it, it was a, a podcast I felt I had to do. I saw some research on Substack and I immediately said, this has to be done. I'm a personal family survivor. I could one day, you know, I, every time I forget what I came in the room for, I panic, you know, because the, watching what happened to my mother will scare anybody. You know, the only vaccine that I ever took willingly, actually not just willingly, I went running for the vaccine, was the shingles vaccine. And the reason I did that was because my old partner, Chuck Zink, the late great Chuck, Skipper Chuck, he got shingles and I watched the suffering that man went through and I said to myself, if there's anything I can do to prevent that, I'm doing it. And I took that double shingles vaccination, so I don't really worry about it that much. I mean, I, it's 90-something percent effective. But I, I got a lot of emails, and, and, and one in particular from an attorney, a local attorney, who said, I listened to your interview with Dr. Robert Malone. I'm proud that you recognize and broadcast the truth. His book, Lies My Government Told Me, and The Better Future Coming, sits on my desk. I'm in my 70s, and when COVID first appeared, my wife and I listened carefully as doctors debated whether this so-called experimental vaccine was effective in its purported ability to protect the public. We saw doctors and nurses who were against the vaccine condemned and their voices silenced. Skeptical about the vaccine, we attempted to obtain hydroxychloroquine and were shocked when the pharmacy told us that they could not fill the prescription. Never in my life had a pharmacy refused to fill a doctor's prescription. The only way we were able to obtain the medication was through an organization called Frontline Doctors. They sent the medicine to us through the mail. 
We watched in disbelief as United States citizens were not allowed to fly or work in a hospital or remain in the military if they did not comply with the unprecedented mandate to take an experimental vaccine. And he keeps vaccine in quotes because he, like I, knows this is not a vaccine. We watched the fiasco in New York City as elderly people who had COVID were sent back to nursing homes to infect others to die. We saw hospitals receive government funds to skew their death counts regarding the number of patients who truly died from COVID. We watched in disbelief the amount of people who lost their businesses as the result of our government's unconstitutional restrictions. We watched with incredulity when the CDC and Prevention, uh, uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommended that children and babies be vaccinated. I could not understand how people would take medical advice from people who admitted their goal was to reduce the population of the world. Booster commercials continue to this day, thinking people can easily doubt that this virus came from bats. Anthony Fauci predicted a virus would arrive. How many intellectual law patents for the so-called vaccine predate the release of this virus upon the world? How many people and corporations have made fortunes as the result of this so-called vaccine? How many people lost their jobs and were kicked out of the military because they exercised their right to refuse to take an experimental drug? The best economy the world has ever known came to a shocking halt. <coughs> it's so hard to believe that this COVID virus may have been unleashed on the world to stop the only man capable of thwarting the one world government plot, who do people think own the media? Who do people think run this planet? <coughs> Excuse me. I'll continue with this letter because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Stay right where you are. I will be right back. So, you know, I'm not revealing the identity of this attorney because uh, I, I don't trust the left, but... Uh, <laughs> Let me just say this. This is a fascinating um, letter because not only was he, you know, happy that I did bring on the good Dr. Malone and a number of guests who are questioning why we all uh, just went along. We went along to get along, and and I think it was a terrible mistake. I think that someday there'll be a class action lawsuit against the United States government over this. I really do, because never has there been. Uh, or maybe against the World Health Organization. I, I mean, this ha was happening all over the world. You had scientists and physicians who literally uh, threw all caution to the wind and insisted on injecting people with this mRNA stuff that they couldn't explain, that most people didn't understand, and then they mandated it so that people lost their jobs, lost their businesses, they locked us in our houses. It's outrageous. He went on in his letter, to say the best economy the world has ever known came to a shocking halt. It is so hard to believe that this COVID virus may have been unleashed on the world. Um, who do people think own the media? Who do people think run this planet? For those who think these thoughts constitute conspiracy theories, ask yourself the following questions. When Nancy Pelosi tore up President Trump's State of the Union speech, why didn't every Republican in unison call for her resignation? when election laws were unlawfully changed, when mail-in voting was allowed, and when vote counting was stopped in the middle of the night and resumed without any oversight, why didn't every Republican back President Trump and call for an investigation prior to certifying the 2020 election? 
when Joe Biden continuously violates the law and refuses to protect our border, why didn't every Republican call for his resignation? When Merrick Garland raided Mar-a-Lago, violating President Trump's Fourth Amendment rights, why didn't every Republican call for Garland's resignation? When it became clear that the media was blatantly biased against President Trump, and when Twitter permanently suspended the President of the United States account, why didn't, <coughs> why didn't every Republican condemn the media and condemn Twitter? When President Trump's ban against TikTok and WeChat was reversed by Joe Biden, why didn't every member of Congress stand up for the protection of the American people? When Joe Biden closed the pipeline, why didn't every Republican stand in unison to object? <coughs> she really is sick. Uh, and when it became clear that Hillary's devious lying scheme amounted to a Russia hoax, why didn't all Republicans call for the resignation of every person in the FBI who lied and signed their names to fraudulent warrants? Why have Hillary, Comey, and Schiff escaped prosecution? The Democrat socialist agenda is set on destroying our economy, our border, our military, and our education system. Democrats use the media to befuddle the definition of what constitutes a woman. They use the media to focus attention on LGBTQ and transgender rights while they champion trans men competing against women and girls. Many Americans believe that our government has been taken over from within and that the COVID fiasco is the biggest coup in the history of mankind. Bewildered Americans ask, where are the Republicans? Now that the Republicans have the majority in the House, let us hope they act to block, correct, and redirect the focus of our nation. This is the time for the Republican Party to act. If not now, when? And I just appreciate the fact that he sent, this is the second letter that he has sent to me, and he's obviously a, you know, a, a brilliant man, and he listens to my show, and, and, uh, and he's so right about all of those things. And then he recommended some uh, Neomed sinus rinse, which I do use, I use something similar. But it just, you know, the beat goes on and on. I have spent years, really, literally years of my career being told that the things I was talking about were the crazy talk of, you know, the tinfoil hat people. Um, you know, I first started talking about, you know, one world government and new world order and all that other stuff 33 years ago on this veritable radio station. Well, actually, it was on 1400 WFTL. But I was talking about that in the middle of the night. And people would call into the show and say, you know, that, that sort of makes a lot of sense. And then other people would call in and challenge it and say, oh, you're crazy. You're one of them tinfoil hat people. And I would say, well, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just very observant. And I'm watching and I'm tracking. And I got to tell you, you know, this, this recent, uh, what do they just do? The... Uh, whatever summits, I, I lose track of, of what they call all these things. Um, but Davos, they were in Davos, right? And, and, and they're all upset. The people in Davos are all upset. Why? Because this globalist uh, idea that they've been pushing forever isn't really resonating with a lot of people in a lot of countries. Yeah. And, and, and they don't understand that. And they're, 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 literally crazy talking about 
you know, how, how they have to silence anyone who disagrees with them. And if you're not scared of that, by that, I am. You know, th this is not, uh, this is not simple, but it's critical to understand. We have a challenge ahead of us. We have to be confident enough to, to take on the powers that be. And I see it happening in, in small parts of the country. You're starting to see a grassroots movement again, almost Tea Party-esque. You know, uh, MAGA certainly was the closest thing that there was to it during 2016. But now you're starting to see a different kind of breakout. You're starting to see people who never in their lives would have considered joining in a group and, and challenging the government. But there's a county in Nevada right now that is banning COVID vaccines, or they're considering it. The Elko County Board of Health is scheduled to meet today to discuss and consider placing a moratorium on COVID-19 and flu vaccines in their counting. Why? Because it's not a conspiracy theory to look around and see young, healthy men, athletes, mind you, dropping dead of heart, heart attacks, cardiomyopathy. Um, it's really disturbing to see, you know, uh, a, a government that wants me to call a man a woman, a woman a man, without any question and allow young children to determine their gender in spite of their biological reality. These things start to wear at people's minds and they come together and they look for like-minded people who think and say what they're thinking and saying, which is why talk radio survives no matter what. We could have the guy in the White House we like or the people in the White House we can't stand, and we survive because we keep bringing up the things that nobody wants to talk about in the mainstream. I'm not afraid. You know, you can laugh all you want, but I remember when I said that these climate people were hell-bent on taking down the national, uh, you know, th the whole energy sector that they, you know, they wanted to shut down coal. They wanted to shut down uh, every kind of energy except this ludicrous windmills and solar panels. And trust me, is there a place for those things? Yeah, I guess there is. You know, it's just not going to generate enough energy for the world. We know that. But they don't care. You know, they tell you, oh, but, but we're ruining the environment. I don't know. I'm looking out a window right now. The sky is blue. The clouds are white and puffy. The trees are all fine. You know, um, I think I, I read today that the uh, index or whatever, the breathing index was uh, more than acceptable. It was good. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this alarmist crap is really starting to uh, bother people. You know, if I hear another person tell me I have to get an electric car, I live in a community, there's nowhere to plug it in. Right, so what am I supposed to do? Just sit here? You know, that's what they like, right? Get on a bicycle? You know, what about my 85-year-old neighbor? I don't want to see them on a bicycle. That's scary. Anyway, I'm going to be checking in with Blaze Angolia from the Republican Party here in Florida and talk about a couple of things. Reedy Creek, number one, and then also uh, some of the news that's uh, important to the party. Um, 
So stay right where you are. I'll be right. So uh, welcome back. I'm going to be incorporating a feature in the show where we're going to be speaking with State Senator Blaze Ingolia, who is a Republican serving as, uh, I think you represent, what, the 35th district? I represent the 11th district, which is parts of Pasco, all of Hernando, all of Citrus, and all of Sumter County, which includes all the villages. Okay, so 35th was when you were in the house. (laughs) Uh, you know, yeah. I'm keeping, trying to keep these districts in my mind, and, and uh, I'm getting older, Blaze. It's not so easy anymore. But, um, but always a pleasure to talk to you and so many things to talk about. I mean, first and foremost, I saw the governors uh, made a plan for Reedy Creek, which, of course, is this improvement district that the Walt Disney World uh, basically self-governs. W- what is the proposed legislation all about? So the governor's proposal is piggybacking off of his stance on Reedy Creek, uh, the Disney Corporation, last year when they came out against the uh, parental rights and education bill, the one that Disney was dubbing, and along with others that don't say gay bill. Right. So um, at that point, Reedy Creek um, and the Disney Corporation basically were governing themselves. They had their own governing body. They did their own permits. They had their own fire department. Um, They did not basically live under the conditions that other corporations, other companies in Florida had. They had their own special treatment. So -hmm. what the governor said is that if you are going to um, uh, interject yourself on something like this, um, basically don't bite the hand that feeds you. So he did away with Reedy Creek, and now he's going to replace it with a sort of like a statewide commission where Mm -hmm. people are going to be appointed to sort of oversee uh, that area of uh, Florida, where Disney is located, and make sure the people in Orange County, the residents of Orange County, aren't hit with any taxes. They're not using it as an excuse to raise taxes. They know now that we have to assume this debt, uh, which they're not going to assume the debt. That's actually one of the proposals of the legis- proposals in the legislation. It's a way to take. Um, it's a way to protect the taxpayers, but also to continue holding Disney accountable for what they were doing. Yeah. Well, and I love it. You know, that that to me never made sense. I mean, I think that goes back to like when Claude Kirk was the governor, you know, and and we were just desperate. Yeah, we were just desperate to bring business like that at that magnitude into a state that was still a lot of farm country, you know, and, and it made sense then. And nobody ever thought it would grow into the monster that it grew into. And, and in particular, that it would suddenly start taking political positions. Now, of course, they've gotten rid of this guy um, at Disney who decided to become right. a politician. And Bob Iger's back. So I, I'm sure that impacts the negotiation going forward. Oh, I'm positive. And, you know, and, and just think about that. That's the decision to be involved in, uh, in parental rights. <laughs> caused the CEO of Disney, which is a, a Fortune 50 company, I believe, right. um, the CEO to lose his position. So that, that's how important and how powerful and sort of like the fire that they were playing with. Um, mm-hmm. But think, I, Joyce, I want you to think about this also. So you got Universal, which is right down the block. They don't have their own special taxing district. They don't have their own government where they can do what they want. So basically... Disney now is going to sort of live under the same rules that other corporations, other theme parks in the area are going to live under. 
I never even thought about that, that Universal doesn't experience that. I'm sure Bush Gardens in Tampa doesn't have any special That's right. arrangement don't. either. That's very, very interesting. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, of course, the subject of illegal immigration comes up all the time. You know, People think of the border states, Texas and, and uh, Arizona, when they think about illegal immigration, but it's a huge problem here in our state. And I think Governor DeSantis has a pretty clear picture of how to, you know, c control it beyond sending, you know, busloads to Martha's Vineyard, which I thought was brilliant. But, you know, certainly that's not the answer. Um, what's going on in terms of legislation? What are you guys looking at? Well, I mean, so what the governor is doing right now regarding illegal immigration is he's pushing back and he's holding companies accountable or at least the, the laws that we passed in Florida. A couple of years ago, we passed a law that said if you um, do business with the state, if you have a contract with the state, then you are required to use the E-Verify system. Um, and there were, we, there were reports given that certain companies were not using the E-Verify system. They were hiring illegal labor. So the DeSantis administration sent letters out to them and said, hey, um, we want you to verify your um, your employees to make sure that they're all legal. And six companies just refused to respond, and they were continuing to refuse to respond. One of them finally responded. But now there's five companies out there that have yet to give any information saying that all of their employees that they hired, that they hired comply, because these, these five companies have contracts with the state. They do business with the state. Hmm. Actually hmm. have hired legal um, uh labor and they're not fostering more illegal immigration by creating another magnet right, right. so um if these companies do not respond to the governor um pretty soon they're going to lose their licenses in the state of florida and that's what the governor is doing is holding these companies accountable for not following state law but to your point illegal immigration is a much much bigger issue the federal government is a mess the border is a mess we have uh, open borders right now everyone knows it you can see it on tv um and the administration not only is not doing anything they're fostering the conditions where they're perpetrating more and more illegal immigrants to come across the border and create a bigger problem so while the federal government can't get their act together uh state Florida, we are going to continue to lead and make sure that we're going to push back with the laws that we need in place to um, uh, to curb illegal immigration, and we do that by getting rid of the magnets and the incentives that create illegal immigration in the first place. I agree. I think a strictly enforced E-Verify requirement would discourage illegal immigrants from coming here in the first place. You know, it may not be the answer in a, in and of itself, but it certainly would help. All you got to do is ask the employers of illegal labor and see how they don't respond when you ask them. And, you know, I'm not a, a political strategist and I'm not a politician, but I can tell you this ties in perfectly with Governor DeSantis's brand because he doesn't care what business thinks. They better play by the same rules as, as uh, any individual citizen is expected to play by or they can leave, you know, and I think he's absolutely right. That's right. Yeah. You know, some of the other things that are going on, are, you know, I, I had a friend who was out on a cruise ship this weekend on the Liberty of the Seas, and they rescued 17 Cuban migrants that were lost at sea. And, I mean, in and of itself, 
that's a heartwarming story because those people were definitely about to perish. They'd been out there 15 days. They didn't have food or water for the last five. And American hearts go out to those people. But what happens, you know, when they show up in Florida? Like what, you know, we have a large Cuban population. I happen to be very fond of them. They all vote for Republicans. But, you know, by and large, that's the same problem as illegal immigration in any other form. Well, it is a form of illegal immigration, but I would argue that um, what we're seeing with people fleeing communist regimes in Cuba is vastly different than what we're seeing at our southern border, right? Yes. So the southern border, you have drug traffickers, you have sex traffickers, you have people coming over just because they want jobs. That's a lot different than fleeing the, uh, a communist regime. Um, everyone wants a better life. But the reasoning and, you know, the reason why they are a refugee at that point is really goes to the heart of why we need to fix the legal immigration system. A lot of the, the a lot of my favorite Americans who, who are the most patriotic are people who just got naturalized and just became citizens or their children just became mm -hmm. citizens. So we can see those people coming across, especially from Cuba, as an opportunity, mm -hmm. but if we don't have a legal immigration system to process them and get them through the system, um, and if the legal immigration system takes 10 to 12 years to become a legal citizen, that in itself, that time frame, is yet another incentive for people to come into the, come into the country illegally. So, And all that stuff needs to be fixed, and it needs to all be fixed at the federal government level. Yeah, I agree. Although, you know, having a conservative state government has proven to save us time and time again. I mean, certainly when it came to, you know, the COVID madness and when it comes to now the governor has appointed Chris Rufo and some other, you know, smart people yes. to the, uh, you know, the college. And, you know, we're going to end up with the Hillsdale of the South if if Governor DeSantis and your legislature does the right thing. Yeah, and we're going to continue pushing back. And, you know, it's so refreshing to see a governor that really doesn't care what the liberal media says, doesn't care what them politicians think, um, trying to do the the right thing at the right time. Um, and by having somebody like that, he sort of like led the way for other people to do that. Look, I think just like the governor, I would be doing the exact same thing um if I was if I was governor, but there are people out there, unfortunately, that need to see somebody like Governor DeSantis do it in order for them to do it. So um, while he's doing the right thing, the more important thing, in my view, is he's showing other conservative Republican um, elected officials that mm -hmm. they can stand up for what they believe in and push hard against back uh, against the liberal media and the Democrats also. Yeah, and listen, I just I just want everybody to stop telling him to run for the presidency. We need him here. <laughs> His day will come, and then you could be the governor. Okay, Blaze. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we got it worked out. Thanks so much, Blaze Angolia, state senator from Florida. I always appreciate talk to you in a couple of weeks. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Um, yeah, listen, Blaze would be a great governor. I can tell you that right now. I've been following Blaze for years, and uh, he's a straightforward conservative, and that's the only kind that I want any to have any place in the government of the state of Florida, period, end of story. Do you understand me yet? Anyway, 
Um, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is uh, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock is Ben Shapiro. At 6 o'clock, the WPTV Local News. And then we have all of the, our lineup, uh, Joe Pags and Lars Larson. And the the morning crew will be back here at 6 a.m. So I'll be back for one more segment. Please stay right where you are. Oh, boy. You can't, you know, sometimes I just roll my eyes. I look at news headlines, and I don't even want to click on the read more button, you know, because it's, uh, it's so obvious to me that, um, that, that we're not getting the truth. You know, it, it, we'll spend a whole lot of time discussing things that are never going to come to pass. Like, I can tell you right now, right? I don't need Alan Dershowitz to tell me that neither Donald Trump or Joe Biden are going to be prosecuted for those classified documents. They're just not. Because nothing, there was no uh, treason, nothing happened. You know, they mishandled classified documents. That happens apparently all the time. That's all I keep hearing now that Biden has some. You know, all the media on the left is like, oh yeah, but this happens all the time. It's not really a big deal and he's such a nice guy. Well, listen, if there ever was a chance that Donald Trump would have been prosecuted for what he did, that just went out the window. Because if you do, if you can't, you can. You'd have to prosecute both of them. Actually, you know, in many ways, the Biden gate or garage gate story is worse because at least Mar-a-Lago was a secured uh office that was locked and those documents were even padlocked at the behest of the FBI. These documents that they keep finding from Joe Biden is in like, you know, uh, office space at a college and uh, in the president's house and in the garage next to his Corvette. If I hear that one more time next to his Corvette, I think I'm going to lose my mind. But you know, this is all they're going to say, all the defense attorneys are going to say is it was carelessness, sloppiness, but no malevolence. That's what's going to happen. Just like Hillary. Well, you know, she did do that and she did, you know, she, she, she did have in her possession these classified documents and they did end up on Anthony Weiner's computer, but nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. It wasn't malevolent. And other presidents have done it. You know, the whole what of what aboutism, like Sandy Berger, who was stuffing papers down his, you know, drawers, Hillary Clinton. I mean, the list goes on. There are a lot of comparisons. And in the end, you have two special prosecutors. They were appointed because if you're going to appoint one against somebody who's running for president, you have to appoint another one for the person who's also running for president. But neither one of those special prosecutors is going to recommend prosecution and do the same thing James Comey did. Well, we looked it over, and yes, there was some mishandling, and yes, it was sloppy, but no, we have no case. I just, you know, and, and we spend all this time thinking about it and worrying about it, and it all will turn out to be absolutely not relevant. Instead, the things that really are relevant we're not going to talk about, you know, no, nobody is talking about Davos. Nobody. I, I, I flipped around to various channels the last couple of days. Didn't hear diddly squat. The only story I heard was Fox said that uh, George Soros did not go to Davos for the first time in years. And everybody was speculating on why, right? You know, like, like it matters, right? George Soros is like a talking point that has been used 
to death. And then I had to listen to that complete blithering, you know, a man who used to be one of the bright stars, really, uh, Geraldo Rivera, is now, he just says some of the dumbest things that you'll ever hear. He was on television the other night. I didn't see it, but I saw the clip on Rumble talking about, I, I think he's on that show with all the other clowns, uh, the the five. Anyway, he was on there because they had to get rid of Juan Williams. So now it's like, you know, the the, the Jessica Tarlov or Geraldo Rivera, pathetic. The only one I can tolerate at all is the um, Ford, the the former Tennessee congressman. But anyway, so Geraldo's on there. And he, he says that the AR-15, that the AR in AR-15 stands for automatic rifle. Because that's, Greg Gutfield had the presence of mind to ask him, you know, what does AR stand for? He says, it's an automatic rifle. And I know that AR-15s have no place in American society. AR is got nothing to do with automatic rifle. It was the name of the company. It was an Armalite rifle. So they called it an AR. You know, the modern AR-15 style weapons that are made by gun manufacturers are semi-automatic. The guns have become a significant point of debate, but they're not assault weapons and they're not automatic. They're semi-automatic, like every gun that people own. You know, back in 2021, this is the same guy who said that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was the bright shining light in Congress, her eloquence and her passionate sincerity. I was, I'm still trying to figure out who he was talking about. Because <coughs> that certainly doesn't describe AOC or MGT or any of the rest of them. And he once said that Liz Cheney was a once in a generation stand up hero. Geraldo has clearly joined the ranks of, uh, you know, Dianne Feinstein and Joe Biden. His mind is slip sliding away, as uh, Paul Simon would say. And and I, I get it. You know, my mind is, uh, so I wouldn't think I could run a country right now. And probably uh, I don't uh, I don't have any intention of running for any office. But I am grateful that there are some young people out there with some good ideas you know, and one of them is the governor of this state, no question about it. But, you know, this whole battle between him and Donald Trump, it's tired already, and it didn't even happen. So what I love, though, is watching him, uh, you know, send a message to the cartels in Washington, and that's what they are. There's a COVID cartel, there's a climate cartel, that's what they are. And he, uh, he just unveiled a piece of legislation that will protect us from this whole biomedical nonsense will be the first in the nation ban on vaccine passports permanent. He's going to make that permanent. He's going to ensure that students in Florida can never, ever be required to get a shot or to wear masks to go to school. And he has permanently banned employers from hiring, firing, or discriminating against employees based on the mRNA jab. And he's protecting medical professionals' freedom of speech, which is pretty uh, tough, tough stuff. 
you know, he stands against the most powerful institutions within our society, the CDC and the, you know, World Health Organization. But when the world lost its mind, Florida was a refuge of sanity. And we were literally freedom's linchpin. And they want to keep it that way, or at least Governor DeSantis does, and sounds like Blaze and his fellow senators and congresspersons, uh, representatives in Tallahassee, they want to do it. They want to make sure that no Floridian will lose their job or be denied a job based on that jab, and that no Floridian will be forced to sit at a different lunch table or work in a special ward because of their personal medical decisions about the jab, and that we be the only state that makes this a permanent legal protection. You know, it takes guts. There's no question about it. And he, uh, fortunately, he's got he's got guts. So we'll see. You know, because the 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 drumbeat gets louder and louder and frustrates me no end. You know, with people telling me, "Oh, but he'd be such a great president." Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's. Let's kind of rethink that, okay? Because, you know, we got to live here in the state of Florida. I don't live in Washington, D.C., and neither do most of you. And what happens in Washington, D.C. can stay in Washington, D.C. Now they're going to decriminalize or lessen the penalties for carjacking. Does anybody understand how violent a crime carjacking is? When somebody opens up the door to your car and puts a gun to your head and forces you out of your car? maybe with your kids in the back seat, and, and they're gonna make that a lesser penalty than it is today. As far as I'm concerned, it should be a mandatory 10 years, 15, 20 years. You know, and, and these people in Washington, much to her credit, Muriel Bowser, the mayor, did not get down with this policy. You know, so maybe she does have a few brain cells left. I certainly hope so, because the nation's capital looks like a slum. And that's pretty telling. But that does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back tomorrow, even if it's with the crunchy voice and even if it's with the, you know, the, the uh, infrequent but very annoying coughing um, because I do love, I do love talking to you every single day. So my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you, and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.